Welcome to The O Show, your number one podcast for everything training, mindset, and nutrition. I am your host, Oren McCurry, and it is my goal to help you access the best information around to allow you to kick ass in the gym, in the kitchen, and most importantly, in your head. Between my own experiences and those of my amazing guests, I'm confident we will do that. So let's strap in and level up your life starting right now. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, guys. Welcome to today's episode of The O Show. And I am joined today by a truly amazing person and amazing client who's been with Team OMC for probably the past eight to 12 weeks. And every single time I see her in person, she really enlightens me about something. And I learned something hugely new, which for me is, is a massive bonus. So I thought, why not jump on a podcast and have a conversation with the amazing Brody Cooper? How are you? I'm good, thanks. Thanks, Oak. Thanks for having me. This is going to be huge. I know I was talking to Shireen about this earlier in the gym. She's like, I actually can't wait to listen to this because it's going to be so uh, insightful. And so basically, if people don't know who you are, Rody, let's talk about who you are, your work, and why this is going to be so insightful. Because once you get the introduction, they're going to know where we're going with this. Okay. So um, I'm an autistic person and I'm a clinical psychologist. And I work with adult ADHD and autistic people. Um, mostly they're late diagnosed. So um, I'm going through the process with them of developing their understanding of ADHD and autism, um, what their ADHD and autism looks like, because it doesn't look the same for everybody. Um, we're developing acceptance and through acceptance, developing language to be able to advocate for themselves and um, explain how their um, experience is different to what we call neurotypicals. So there's neurodivergent and neurotypicals. And for a lot of these people who have been, who are diagnosed in their thirties and upwards, I was diagnosed when I was 56. Um, it provides a, it gives us language for the experiences that we've had that we assume everybody else in the world is having at the same time. But the diagnosis gives us an understanding that we experience the world in a completely different way. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Very rewarding work. And obviously with the, your own diagnosis, that means that you're probably in like an elite group of psychologists who are actually autistic and can relate to it so um I guess that means that it's very it's a different experience to somebody who's normally going through a, a, a psychologist right yeah so um I worked with uh people who were not autistic and ADHD for a really really long time and I would um I would listen to their stories and I go wow you have so many emotions, that must be really hard because um, a lot of autistic people are also uh, lexithymic. So we don't have a very good understanding of, of, it takes us a longer time to process emotional information. And quite often we come off as quite blunted in our mood and affect. Um, we're not, it's, I'm just, my <laughs> which is another autistic thing we we don't filter anything out we we um experience everything all at once 
Yeah. So if you hear sirens going past, I might stop because that's just what we do. And I can't think when that's happening. Um, yeah, so um, we, and that's another part of autism really, is that we perceive the world in a sensory way in a completely different way than most people. So we have uh, autism in particular is a disorder of or a difference in sensory integration. And we can talk about that a little bit later, but you and I have um, experienced that in the gym mm -hmm. um, yeah. with, with pain tolerances and things like that. Yeah, yeah. And I think this is the type of thing that people, like everyone's heard of autism, right? But for me personally, like, I've never really spoke about it in depth like we have during our sessions and chatting in between sets about, you know, the work you do and everything else. I used to think that people who are autistic were just like socially awkward for some reason, but there's a whole spectrum of things, I guess, that you haven't, that you've enlightened me to that I didn't realize, like being able to concentrate on multiple things and the emotions and even just something we'll talk about later, which is the how fitness and everything works into the I guess the health of the whole person and how how beneficial that is but what would you find are the probably the I guess stigmas or misconceptions maybe about autistic people or things that used to be the case but maybe aren't true anymore um that's a really great question I'm so glad you asked um so aut autism has uh been stigmatized as being related to IQ so if you are not what we call neurotypical passing, so looking like a normal person, so I'm a neurotypical passing autistic person, um, but if you're not neurotypical passing, you are assumed to, or perhaps you are non-speaking autistic person, um, you would be assumed to have low intelligence, which is not necessarily true. Some of the most sophisticated philosophical um, thinking has come from non-speaking autistic people that I've come across. And then if you're neurotypical passing like me, um, the, the expectation is that you're a super brain and that you have super high intelligence and um, probably savant skills. Um, just putting out there, I have no savant skills so whatsoever. I'm really ticked off about it, wish I did. Um, um, the, the socially awkward thing comes out a lot. Um, I am socially awkward, but, and it takes me a lot. So even in the gym, that's a social space. Um, that's a really difficult space for an autistic person to enter because it's so unfamiliar and so unpredictable. Mm -hmm. Um, so I am socially awkward in there. I keep my earphones in, even when I'm speaking to people um, that I've been seen going to the gym for the last, you know, I've been going to Doherty's for about a year and a half. Um, I didn't talk to you for ages. <laughs> yeah. I just looked at you in the gym and I went, oh yeah, he's interesting. He's training really well. And I'd go, I'd really like to talk to him, but I have no idea how to open the conversation. None whatsoever. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And, and then carrying on a conversation is very difficult. The reason that I can do this is because we're talking about my special interests. So autistic people tend to have restrictive 
repetitive behaviours and interests. With, so you got me on both, on two of mine. So mine are bodybuilding, autism and ADHD neurodiversity. Um, and we're, unfortunately, we're not talking about my third one, which is the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but we can probably <laughs> frame. We could do a whole other episode on that. Oh, yeah. Um, so we have a tendency to do what I'm doing now, which is info dumping. And I remember saying to you and Shireen uh, the other day after the huddle, um, if I speak too much in a huddle, you need to shut me down because I will just go on. Yeah, okay. okay. So there's lots of stigma around that. For ADHD people, the stigma is about being flighty or squirrel-like. Um, people do not uh, appreciate the disability that ADHD causes uh, in planning and organising, um, sticking to tasks, focus, um, and for both of us, for ADHD and autistic people, we have a lot of difficulty with emotional regulation. Um, my view is that for autistic people, emo emotional regulation improves with age. Um, but uh, I guess the other thing is, is um, our sensory world um, is perceived to be an intolerance of sensory stuff. It's actually not. We can't integrate a lot of sensory stimulus uh, into our nervous system, and it actually um, uh, activates pain, the uh, the pain areas of our brain, not the fear areas. So, um, if you're so if you're a, if you're a psychologist and you're treating someone with autism or ADHD and you're not aware of the physiological effects, uh, yeah, you know, um, you you're guessing. And it's really, really difficult to understand the experience of a neurodiverse person because it is so different. Yeah, 100%. And one thing that I wanted to talk about is this, I guess, just to clear up in case it wasn't clear from before, like what, when you say neurodiversity versus neurotypical, like what do those two words mean just as a little summary in case people haven't picked it up along the way, just to clear it up before we go into the next bit then, Brody. Sure. So there's a, a neurotypical person is a person who has a typical um, uh, brain set nervous system. So it's it's uh, according to statistics, it's ninety eight percent, ninety five percent of people. Mm -hmm. Neurodiversity. So it's a neurodi neurodiversity includes neurotypical and neurodivergent people. Neurodivergent people have uh, our brains develop differently, um, even within the womb. So before we're born, our brains are different. Mm -hmm. um, it's a developmental, they say, disorder. I hate the word disorder. It's a condition, and um, it we are neurodivergent before we were born, and we'll be neurodivergent until the time we die. And it's a bit like you hear about biodiversity different kinds of things in the environment for yeah. us to survive. Um, I actually think that we actually need neurodivergent people um, and neurotypical people because I think we complement each other. Yeah. Okay, mm -hmm. cool. Cool. And one thing that just literally popped into my head while we we're talking about that is, you know, sometimes we hear these comments and I want to tell your opinion on if it's true, where 
people say, oh yeah, I'm on the spectrum somewhere. Or people say, oh yeah, everyone's like a little bit on the spectrum somewhere. It, would that be true where everyone has a little bit of like a little bit of an autistic qualities or you know what I'm getting at? I do understand what you're getting at. Um, so Simon Baron Cohen in the early, he's a, he's a seminal um, autism researcher. Um, in the very early stages called it uh, extreme maleness, that autism was extreme maleness. Um, uh, but unfortunately they hadn't looked at women at the time. It's very, that's only a sort of a decade old where okay. we're diagnosing women. Um, so autism is a group of traits uh, which include uh, persistent deficits in social communication and social interaction. Um, restrictive and repetitive behaviours or interests and activities. Um, and they have to be present from very early developmental period, okay? So, yes, some people might have a really, uh, you see it in the gym all the time, you know, we've got bodybuilders and gym goers who, like, would basically have a really hard time not going to the gym. Mm -hmm. But that's that if that's all they've got, that, that's not autistic. That's just a very strong interest. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there are socially awkward neurotypical people, um, but they're not socially awkward because they don't understand the social cues, whereas an autistic person actually doesn't understand autistic, uh, social cues. I'll give you an example um, that's come up recently. So when I'm walking down the street, walking in the world is in the social context, right? I am checking everything about myself, how my footfall is, where my arms go, if they're swinging. So it's almost performative. Okay. But it's been like that since I was a little kid. I'm always looking at other people to figure out, or I was always looking how I should be in the world because I literally... It's like I'm socially deaf. I do not hear the cues. Okay, wow. Mm. So it's so no, no, everybody is not a little bit autistic, but if you've got the um, combination of traits that are symptomatic of autism, then I strongly recommend you go and get an assessment because. The, it's what it being one of the best things that's ever happened to me to figure out that I was autistic um, mm -hmm. because everything just makes sense. Wow. Mm. So before we go into the next bit, like how would somebody go and get tested? Like what's involved in getting tested to see if you do maybe have autism? So that's really different um, if you're a child or an adult. Uh, for, for a child, um, it's definitely worthwhile because um, it, it will affect their, their capacity to learn because they will have to be doing so much more work, working out the social sphere, and it takes their energy away from learning stuff. They also have a really hard time, autistic kids have a really hard time making friendships and um, there can also be difficulties with uh, language development uh, as well. Um, if you're a child, you go to a, um, the parents take the child to a really good um, pediatric psychiatrist yep. and get a psych evaluation. 
they get a clinical psychologist evaluation and they get a um, speech and language evaluation. And um, the three are combined and then the child is given a diagnosis of autism level one, level two or level three. If you're level one, so I'm a level one, uh, it means that I need low supports, which is sometimes true and sometimes not true. Um, level two and three means that you need moderate to um, quite a lot of supports. And if you're a level two or three, it means that you can apply for NDIS um, and get the therapies that you need and also some of the social supports and um, social inclusion funding that you need, uh, as, along with things like support workers, which can be very important for children and adults. Yeah. If, you're an, if you're an adult, um, there are clinical psychologists. So if you think you've just got autism, you can go to a clinical psychologist who specialises in the diagnosis of uh, autism spectrum disorder, and um, they can diagnose you. Uh, it's it's a two, usually a two part um, process. You have an interview, and then you have some psychometric testing and um, further interviews, and then they do a report. Um, if you think you've got, if you think you're ADHD and autistic. It's really important to go to a psychiatrist who diagnoses both and both at the same time so that it's not as expensive. Yeah, awesome. And that leads us in nicely to the next question, which is what's the differences or I guess also the similarities between autism and ADHD and how would, I guess, how would somebody know as well if they notice these similarities, how would somebody know which path to go down to get tested for this? Okay, so um, autism is the autism and ADHD have very strict uh, diagnostic criteria. They're completely different um, diagnoses, um, but you can be autistic and ADHD at the same time, which I call a spicy neurodivergent. <laughs> um, so uh, if so, if you're autistic, things that um, uh, I think, so I knew I was autistic pretty much 10 years before I got diagnosed, but I had terrible imposter syndrome going, oh, no, I can't. And I'd ask lots of my clinical supervisors, do you think I'm autistic? They go, no, no, you've got so much empathy and you can, you can maintain eye contact. You can't be autistic. So if you, first of all, if you've got a, a empathy and you can maintain eye contact, it doesn't it, uh, exclude you from being autistic. Okay. Um, so things are uh, strong um, interests, uh, usually interests that are not commensurate with your age. Um, so I know autistic people that still have, have had a very strong interest in things like dinosaurs or um, ancient civilizations, um, coding, Lego, um, Dungeons and Dragons. Um, so they're, they're sort of might not be purely typical. My special interest um, when my children, when, when I was married, my, um, my husband was my special interest. And then my, I had my children and my children was well, special interest or being um, a good mum and housekeeper, sort of, you know, a domestic person. Um, which led into another special interest, which was um, cooking at a low cost. 
Yeah. So, um, so for women, they can they can be a bit. Um, it can be a bit hard to detect. Okay. Um, but things like how you were when you were younger, like um, did you play with dolls in a way where you were making conversations with the dolls if you're a girl, or were you lining them up and dressing them? If you're lining them up and dressing them, that's a hint that you're probably autistic. Okay, wow. Having only one friend is another hint, like having difficulty making lots of friendships. Those friendships quite often end very abruptly. Okay. Um, um, what else? Um, a, an extreme sense of justice. So um, if something's done to me, I get um, victim justice sensitivity and I, I could get really angry. I don't get really angry anymore. I use a of psychology. Um, if, but if I see like if, if one of my clients is being poorly treated when I've worked in organisations, I'll stomp into my boss's office and go and be stamping, this is unjust and we should be doing such and such and such. So a really strong sense of justice and it can be global. So um, um, Greta, what's her name? Greta Thunberg. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Climate. Autist, she's autistic, so her okay. justice sensitivity is about climate change. Yeah, okay, wow. Okay. So really strong. Um, also, other hints are difficulties with food, um, either um, like having to not have your foods touch is quite typical, having food, safe foods, foods that you eat when you're overwhelmed. Um, that was part of my uh, problem with um, putting on weight is that I stim, um, which means uh, it's a repetitive behaviour with crunchy food. And crunchy food is generally high fat, high salt, high carbohydrate. So I would, to make myself, so it was like emotional eating, but it's not because I couldn't stop it. Well, okay, interesting. So um, you might have stims. So for example, some of my stims are listening to music, um, uh, singing is a stim, um, flapping hands for people, you know, people yeah. might see me walking around in the gym going like this or flicking my hands. Yeah. Um, that's a stim, that's a self-regulatory behaviour. Um, so it can be, it, it can be quite subtle. And if you're, if you're autistic and you've got through to adulthood as an autistic person, a lot of the behaviours will have been squished, squished down. Okay. But having feelings of overwhelm that you can't explain um, is reason to ask questions. Yeah, yeah. And for ADHD, um, things like skin picking is one. Um, if you have the habit of, for I'm going to give the example of doing your laundry. So I go to pick up the, I'm not ADHD, but if I was ADHD, I go to pick up the laundry basket in the bedroom and I walk past the bathroom and see that all the drawers are open and I drop the basket and I push all the drawers shut. But then I notice that the inside the drawer, it's a bit untidy and I start tidying that. Um, and then I get that all done, but three hours has passed before I realize that it's done. So a lot of losing time. Okay. Um, not being able to get my washing to the washing machine. And if I do finally get it there, 
I'll probably leave the washing in the washing machine for three days because it's about um, it's taking the washing from the bedroom to the washing machine is not one process for an ADHD person. It could be a hundred processes on the way. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So things like if you're always if you're always late and you just can't help it, um, you have time blindness. That's that's a good indication. Um, uh, daydreaming. If you're a bit of a, if you sort of phase off every now and again, that can be one of them that that would indicate inattentive ADHD. Um, if you, oh, hyperfixations. So, you know, if somebody's listening to this podcast and heard the word neurodivergent and they went, oh, that's really interesting. And six hours later, they're still on Google reading up about mm-hmm. neurodivergency, probably go and get an assessment for ADHD. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Interesting stuff. Interesting stuff. And then how would that then impact these people's lives? Because obviously you've had, I think you said 56, you were, um, yeah, yeah. you were so diagnosed you- with it. So what's, how, how was your life before that without a diagnosis basically versus, versus now when you have had that diagnosis and confirmed it to yourself, what you thought was happening for 10 years because I'm sure your experience of thinking to yourself like asking a question am I autistic am I autistic do you think I'm autistic do you think I'm autistic like I'm sure that's what a lot of people go through where they they think that and then they doubt themselves and maybe they do have things but what was the impact of your life before that having autism had and then how did it feel when you did get that that assessment then and that diagnosis okay so as a child, um, I walked around probably through to my teen years. Uh, I was just confused. I, like everything was fuzzy for me. I just didn't understand. Uh, I couldn't understand what people were on about. Um, we're very literal people. So if people used metaphors or similes, I wouldn't. I would go. Oh, I don't understand. I see memes and I go. I don't even understand that. That's weird. Yeah. Um, So um, a lot of the social nuance is difficult for us. And when I say I was confused, I was like really confused, like looking around the world and going, I just don't know what's going on. I just, um, so I didn't do particularly well in primary school or high school. Um, I did very well in science in high school, but that was because it was became a special interest. Um, I did quite well when I was working, uh, but I could only maintain jobs for one 18 months, one year to 18 months. And then I'd move on because I'd have these massive autistic burnouts and I would externalise it and say it was the work environment. It wasn't the work environment. It's that, you know, if you go into a job and you're well-resourced, you're very good, very efficient because we're good organisers and planners, um, we, we're very detail-oriented, so we can see things that are going wrong and come up with really good systems. But then when we start to burn out, we lose the capacity to be able to plan and organise, and we look like where people will say, what is going on with you? You are. And I had that experience in university in a couple of um, units where the, the unit coordinator would say, I just, I just don't understand what's going on. And now I realise it was autistic burnout where I just have complete executive dysfunction. My brain just doesn't work. Um, It impacted negatively on uh, intimate relationships. Um, So I've been married twice. 
Um, I've spent spent 10 years single um, and just going relationships aren't worth it because they're again highly social context mm -hmm. um, now I'm in a relationship where I can say I'm neurodivergent these are the things I know about myself it's with a person who's curious and does their own reading about um, autism and so we have a better understanding of the way things going go um, so it impacts negatively on friendships, intimate relationships, education, um, work, paid, play, paid employment. Um, it's quite lonely. It's really difficult to make connections with people. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it can also lead, autism and ADHD can also lead to substance abuse issues. So for example, when I went out, people used to think that I was quite a social person but there was always alcohol involved. I, I would preload before I'd go out. I'd have one or two drinks to, to sort of calm my nerves. My prefrontal cortex would go offline. I'd seem like I was really not scripting and I probably wasn't, but I was also did some really embarrassing stuff. Okay, wow. Because the more, the more alcohol you drink, the more embarrassing your behavior becomes yeah and we all we all can uh, relate to that whether we're yeah. <laughs> neurodiverse or not so that's right that's right so awesome okay and that's like a, that's a big insight into you know what it's like living with it but what about so what about now that you've had this and you've had this weight off your shoulders like how how does it feel day to day knowing that i guess you were right and knowing why you struggle with certain things and you've got that actual diagnosis there. Like how has that changed the quality of your life? Oh, so much. Like the, the, I, my last birthday, my sister said to me, happy 21st birthday. You're a grown up now because all the confusion and the not knowing why I wasn't doing things the way everybody else was. I mean, I'd see my sister and she'd have all these friends and I'd go, how do you even, I don't even understand. I want to have that, but I don't understand how you do it. Mm -hmm. From the moment I got my, well, I've been working with autistic and ADHD people probably for the last 10 years mm -hmm. um, as part of my practice. I, I was drawn to neurodivergent people. So um, having the knowledge that I'm actually not good at friendships, that I that not everybody scripts their whole um, friendship relationships and conversations. Um, that I am performative in social situations, knowing that I'm thinking all the time about what I'm, I go. Oh, that's autism. That's really cool. It's it's um, it's comforting for me. It's not like that for everybody. It's really comforting for me. And if I'm doing something, I go. Is that autism? I'm going, yeah, it is autism. Because I'm born with an autistic brain, so everything about me is autistic. Yeah. It's the most liberating thing that has ever happened to me. Wow, that's great. That's yeah. great. So for anyone who's maybe thinking along those lines and they're listening to this and they're like, actually, a lot of these traits sound like stuff that I do or stuff that I've been feeling, the advice is go get checked by the, the professionals then and see if, see if it matches up. And if it is, is, if it is right, then you've got that validation of, okay, that makes sense. This is what I was feeling all that time. 
Yes, and so a lot of the work that I do with my clients is uh, narrative restricting. So we look at your history and we go, so you thought your history was a, was a neurotypical history, but it's not. It's a neurodivergent history. So now we're going to look at it in the framework of your autism or ADHD and pick out. So it's like you rewrite your history a bit. Yeah, okay, wow. You're working on imperfect information and now you've got yeah. this, this other way of looking at things. And that can be very healing for, for some people. It can also really, they can become quite angry at the way that they've been treated as well. There's a there's a range of responses to that. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. And let's talk about the final thing we wanted to talk about today, which was the effect of fitness and community and that whole aspect can have on somebody who has autism. And I guess the positives that come out of it more so than just the normal health and, you know, the disease management and everything else so so how have you found fitness in your own life oh my god um so I did ballet from the time I was eight till I was about 17 or 18 and I loved it because it's repetitive it's predictable um I didn't have to talk to anyone but I felt like I was part of a team yeah. Uh, so it, I love the feeling of I love the feeling of my muscles working so that's one of my sensory seeking behaviors um I, I became a body combat instructor a les mills body combat instructor mm -hmm. in my 30s again because i just love just oh my god love the feeling of muscles working and my body moving and it's just awesome um and then three years ago i i was i was 113 kilos i was so overweight because that's one of the problems with autism is obesity is is quite a big um, problem for autistic people um, along with uh, hypermobility disorders such as Ehlers-Danlos syndrome um, and gut issues are also highly comorbid with autism. Um, so I had a period where I'd been very uh, inactive where I was eating a lot because I loved the crunch and yeah, I found myself this humongous blimp person. Um, and I went, started going to the gym, but going back to the gym was really difficult for me because it was an unfamiliar place. There's a lot we have to go through to get comfortable in a space. Mm. Um, so if you're a trainer out there and you've got someone who's autistic, who's just coming into uh, fitness, um, things that might need to happen is you might need to take them through the gym when it's quiet to orient them to the gym. I find the gym quite um, uh, a difficult sensory place uh, with the noises of the weights crashing and stuff like that. Um, but the repetitiveness of training is uh, so good. It's so good. Love awesome. it. And even when we were in our first couple of sessions, I had put the, the hip extension bench on, which uh, obviously you're, you're sort of hanging over like the back extension machine of people don't, uh, don't call it the hip extension. And we had you pretty much hanging over at 90 degree angle. And you were talking about how much you love that because of the feeling and you like, you seek that feeling, right? When you're training and like feeling connecting to muscles, feeling what's going on and, that for you is pleasurable because you're very sensory base you seek that sensory stuff right 
Yeah, but there, there are, as we've found out, there are pitfalls with that. And one of the things is I will go really heavy on my weights trying to chase that feeling. Um, and I had a difficulty with um, activating my triceps. I just could not, my, I can get my brain into my quads and I can get my brain into my hamstrings and um, my shoulders and my back but I couldn't get my brain, my mind into my triceps. And um, I ended up having a, uh, having an injury because I went so hard yeah. um, making, doing a tricep extension just so I could feel it. Yeah. Yeah. And we had to do, you and I had to do a lot of work. You were great with that, you know, getting me to um, focus on it. And now after four reps, I can, I can feel my tricep. I'm going, yes, that's what yeah. I want. Yeah, exactly. And that was the one thing that you were kind of missing because you said, I've got a great connection with my glutes, my back, like legs, everything feels good. I can like feel the emphasis where it wants to go, but it's like your triceps were sleeping. I think you call them like zombie triceps or something yes. along those lines. Um, and we were just literally done a full tricep session for like 45 minutes where we literally just ran through the technique, got you to really think about things. And then obviously over, over the time, You've got to the stage now where three or four reps in, like a normal person would, you get that feeling of, okay, it's kicking in now. But when we first started that, it was like Nothing. 15, 20 reps. And you're like, oh, I'm just about feeling it now. And like the muscle was so fatigued. But I guess it would have been very easy for you when you start feeling on 15 or 20 reps previously to then be like, oh, I'm just feeling it now. Like, let's keep going. Where, and that's where the potential damage can be done because you're chasing that feeling regardless of you know how many reps have been done and how fatigued you are you're just like oh i'm starting to feel it now this is good let's let's get it going um or the the other alternative is i would go too heavy and you know um i noticed you saying to me don't be a hero last week when we were doing legs because i just if if i can go heavy as long as i can maintain form yeah. i will go as heavy as and it's almost it's it's not mind over matter but that's what people might interpret it as but it's um, the there's a, there's a challenge, but there's the feeling that you know if I can maintain form, like the competitive part of me, if I can maintain form and do this, that's going to be awesome. So it becomes yeah. an intellectual challenge as well. Awesome, awesome. And then what about the community sites? That's something we actually talk about, spoke about in the past week, like about. That aspect in terms of what we do at Team OMC, the gym meetups and the Zoom huddles and how beneficial that can be for somebody with autism, which again is something that I would not have realized to have been I've had those conversations. So if that's something that, you know, maybe trainers listening to this can take on board and like try to include in their, their service and their packages to, to make it easier for people with autism, like what's the benefits of community in that sense? Okay, so it's really hard for us to connect to other people, but because of the um, team OMC huddles and the community, um, I can go into there and all I have to talk about is um, my fitness and nutrition. I don't have to talk about anything else. So it's quite, it's quite easy for me to, um, to maintain that. They're also um, generally not super long sessions. Mm -hmm. So maintaining concentration on that at that level is quite good. Um, quite easy um, it's sort of like a soft a soft introduction to social um, forums as well yeah um, 
We're also generally quite good um, on computer-based stuff. So at the Facebook page is, you know, I might not comment on it very often, but I'm, I'm actually being social because I'm connecting to the other uh, members of the community. Yeah. So it's that, it, that's an amazing thing to, for an autistic person to be able to go to a place and go, all I have to talk about is fitness. And you know, if if there's if it if it sort of um, veers off in a different direction, there are enough people that I can pull back, and I don't have to say anything. Yeah. Um, and and everyone in the community is just it, they're just lovely. I mean, you know, there's not there's not a uh, it's it's just been an, a really beautiful kind experience. Awesome. And that's that's great to see because obviously community is huge for, for anyone, regardless of whether they've got autism or ADHD or anything. But the fact that you've came in and you said, like you say, you feel like you can socialize, you get to know people, you can see them in the Facebook group, then maybe you see them in the Zooms or the group meetups and everything else. And then you're like, oh, that's that's Kim, that's Sheree and that's whoever. And you can create those connections, which normally you would struggle with. For me, that that's a huge bonus because like, for normal people, that's huge. And I love the fact that I can bring people together like that. But for give, getting the chance to bring people together who would struggle to actually go out there and converse with people, like that's amazing for me to hear that. And like, if, if, if this could go viral and have people actually, like all the trainers who listen to this, if you think about including some sort of a community aspect and oh, yeah. maybe people who have autism or ADHD or anything that, and they maybe find it hard to create connections. If you can bring that impact to their lives, like that's a groundbreaker. Like that is huge for the impact you can have on that person's life more than training, nutrition, reps, education, my fitness pal, all this stuff that we do, which we do, obviously that's the, the bread, bread and butter of what we do. But if you can create that impact and actually help these people to create meaningful connections to other people, that's the biggest win in my book. Absolutely. And the other thing that I will say too is, you know, on my one-to-one interactions with you and Shireen is that it's really hard as an autistic person to know when is the right time to ask a question or mm-hmm. when is the, you know, when it, uh, you know, should, should I message you on a Sunday? Because again, it's a, it's, it's a social context and you've been really, you guys have been really good, really positive in, um educating me to and encouraging even to say no reach out reach out don't you know don't don't sit there not wondering what you've got to do just reach out so I feel quite comfortable doing that the responses have been um, really positive um, and uh, helpful and so that then encourages me to do it again and again you might what you might end up with though is uh, people over contacting in which case you know creating a boundary and saying I might not be able to get back to you but you're pretty good at that um I might not get back to you I mean I sent you a meme a a thing from TikTok or something the other day and I went oh is that appropriate should I actually do that and then I went um I'm just going to do it anyway yeah 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 exactly but there was there was a lot of like intellectual rumination about whether that was an okay thing to do yeah, yeah. And the reaction was, oh, I love this. Thanks for sending it through, right? So you had nothing to really worry about. But, yeah, exactly, exactly. But the fact that, you know, 
for me, it's a learning curve because like, obviously like not knowing much prior, like I said, the, the previous uh, misconceptions of, oh, they're just socially awkward people. Like for me, learning all this is great, but also the fact that I can actually see you come in and thrive is like the cherry on top of the cake. And, you know, we've had a few other different autistic people come into the, to the group and, you know, see them thrive in their own different ways and have their own different challenges, which we're helping them overcome. It's, it's huge. And it's, it's awesome to be able to, I guess, provide that sort of safe space for people like that and actually help you in ways that I didn't even realize. I thought it was just going to be reps and reps and uh, macros. And it's, uh, it's it came, came a lot more than that. Yeah, I guess, I guess, look, the, the things that I would say to trainers if they get an autistic client is um, be aware that the nutrition is going to be difficult because we do have um, specific um, difficulties around the types of food we can eat. And sometimes we have very restricted palate um, and that will be because it's autistic autism related like it could be a stim thing or a safe food so nutrition uh, I would say try and keep your mind open about working out how to do nutrition your program is really good because it's flexible eating so I can have spaghetti bolognese for lunch every day as long as I yep. make it myself um, the other things I would say is if you're training someone in a gym that uh, we, we need to have predictability. So orienting people to the gym space before you start training is really important. Yep. Um, going through all the pieces of equipment. Um, I'm sensory seeking, um, I'm, I'm, I, I'm likely to overload, but you might get people who are quite sensitive to pain. And so, you know, they may pick up a three kilo weight and go, oh my God, that hurts so much. And so working out with them, sort of trying to figure out what their sensory profile is mm -hmm. um, so that you can um, help them. Um, we're very, when something gets, gets us, we're very stubborn people. So, you know, I've been, people have said to me, oh, you're so wonderful. You've lost so much weight and you've, you know, built muscle and blah, 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 blah. It wasn't that. It was, it was a restricted interest. It was actually easy. I, what I needed was the guidance. Mm -hmm. I need people to guide me. Um, and if people are dropping out, if autistic people are dropping out, it's usually a social thing. They're not understanding that they can reach out. And okay. so the trainer might have to do the reaching out to go, hey, I haven't heard, of, heard from you for a while. Are you, is, is everything okay? Is there anything I can help you with? Um, awesome. If you're changing the food, you probably need to have some uh, um, space between changing nutrition plans and exercise plans so that people know that it's coming yeah. because transitions are very difficult for us. Yeah, okay. And be kind, be kind. That's the easiest thing, right? When you're, you're dealing with people, but it's maybe the, sometimes is the the hardest thing, you know? Like you say, you've got to read the person, you've got to see, like, they might be very sensitive, like you said, and you've got to read that and, you know, coach that and coach everyone differently, I guess, which is the hardest thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. Awesome, yeah. Well, let's go... How how would people get in touch with you if they do they like the sound of what you're what you're doing or how can they look you up basically if they want to find out more? Um you can just go on psychology today and see my name and um you can contact my office that way. 
Okay, perfect. Sounds great. Yeah, I thank you so much for your time. It's been roughly an hour since we jumped on. I know we had a bit of a laugh at the start before we before we think. I think I guess it's probably been about 45 minutes on the episode because we did speak at the start, but yeah, it's been a, it's definitely been an eye-opener for me working with you and learning all this. So I'm sure it's an eye-opener for a lot of the listeners and a lot of the coaches out there who might take something from this and say, you know what? Oh, maybe that client is a little bit autistic and they don't know it and they can share this or they can, you know maybe they feel like themselves are a little bit autistic or how they're going to deal with a client or maybe they've had a past client who has had autism like oh that's where I messed up because I didn't follow up with them enough or I didn't do this or maybe they needed something else and you know if they can get something out of this and they can change the way they approach that then that's the main reason why we wanted to do this so uh, I think it's going to be a good one I think it's going to be a change of pace and it's the first one we've done in a couple of weeks so it's going to be uh, a reintroduction so hopefully lots of people listen to it and uh, lots of people enjoy it but guys if you did enjoy it please just tag me i'm not going to give out brody's um instagram on here just now but uh tag me let me know so that i can share it and she can see it um we're going to keep her instagram a bit private because that's her fitness page for now so um and if you are interested like she said go to psychology now and just look up her name brody cooper and you can find out more and go from there okay Thanks awesome. so much, Joe. Thank you for, for um, sharing your platform so that people can hear a bit more about autism and ADHD. Absolutely. And in the new year, we're probably going to have to do a recap because we've got some exciting things coming up for yourself. So we will, uh, we'll probably get you on back on again to discuss that at a different, different stage when we can actually discuss more. I know the insights, but uh, everyone else can find out later. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for joining me on today's episode of The O Show. If you know somebody who needs to hear this episode today, please share this with them via message or on social media. Don't forget to also take a screenshot and share it on your story and tag me at Oren McCarry so we can continue to grow the podcast and help more people change their lives with the advice given here. Also keep the five-star reviews coming over on iTunes as that helps people who normally wouldn't listen to the show find it and get The O Show in their ears and drive the podcast forward to help more people around the world with the advice here. Have a great day and I will speak to you soon.